Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guest today is Dr. Glenda F. Newell, a board-certified physician in internal medicine and co-author of the book, Focus on Your Best Health, Smart Guide to the Healthcare You Deserve. And we'll be discussing how you take charge of your health. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and past president of the National Medical Association. Dr. Lenore, how are you doing today? I'm good, sir. How about you? I'm doing very well, wondering what the latest in medicine is. Well, it's all still about the coronavirus. It's spreading across the country in, in rapid fashion. There's no evidence of a let-up, and in point of fact, I think we may be in for another surge of this virus, which is not a surge, actually. It's the fact that the original infection has not gone away because we haven't done the things that we need to do. We know that one out of every thousand coronavirus patients who dies is African-American. I think it's a little higher for Latinos. So we're still on the front lines and we're still uh, subject to um, the problems with the virus, unlike uh, maybe other ethnic groups. So the fact that it's spreading means that we have to social distance, we have to wear masks, um, and we have to shelter in place. And probably we have to do it more rigidly than any other ethnic group. You see the president Absolutely. running around the country. I mean, you know, he, you would think that he, you would think that since he had the virus, it would change him, and he would appreciate the danger he was in, uh, and he would appreciate the steps that you need to take to prevent that. But as you can see, he's having these rallies where people may or may not wear masks. Thirty-eight of his people around him became infected, and I think he infected them. But he doesn't seem to have changed anything, and uh, hopefully we'll only have one more month of this. Well, I can't help but agree more, and it also would seem like a time where many people, if they're feeling sick, are going to the doctor, and they need to be advocating for themselves, which I think leads us very well into our uh, next guest. Well, it's one of the most important programs we've done, because one of the purposes of the African American Wellness Project is to give people the tools they need to deal with the healthcare system. No better than Dr. Glenda Newell with the book, Focus on Your Health. Uh, and so um, let's get going. Our special guest today is board-certified physician in internal medicine, Glenda Newell. She's a media spokesperson whose opinion on new advances in medicine and controversial medical issues have made her a valued medical expert. She's a former medical director of primary care services, one of the leading and cutting-edge nonprofit medical organizations within the United States. She received her medical degree from the University of Cincinnati and her BS in biology from Tufts University. Dr. Newell received certification in physician leadership and managing ambulatory care from the Harvard School of Public Health. More importantly, Dr. Newell is one of the most important practitioners in our area, and the information she has to give to you is invaluable. See, we hope you stay with us for the duration of the podcast. Dr. Newell, 
Thank you so much for joining us. What was the moment that you decided along with Dr. Brenda Spritz to write this book? Uh, well, thank you, first of all, Dr. Lenore, for having me on this podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Um, this book was really a long time coming. Uh, Dr. Spriggs and I um, have been friends for many, many years, and we found ourselves in conversation talking about how we were helping our friends and family members to figure out how to navigate their way through the medical maze. So uh, after sharing stories for probably 10 years, um, we thought that we should write the book, but then we did not actually sit down and write this book until about 2012. Um, and this was a book that we felt would be beneficial because we wanted to be able to teach the tools of how to be able to advocate for yourself. And we knew we couldn't get to everybody, so we decided to put it on a textbook. You know, I think that each of us as a physician has had the same situation that you've been in, trying to help people get information that they need to be effective within the system. Dr. Newell, this book is really about advocacy and how to um, – how to get through the whole system of focusing on a number of tools. Describe to an audience what advocacy means. Advocacy is the ability for one person to be in this situation, for one or two persons to be able to help someone else, support someone through their journey. And for, for us, advocacy from this standpoint is helping another person to be able to understand how to effectively communicate and navigate through a system in order to be able to ensure that you're getting the best care that you deserve. So we talk in this book about uh, effective communication, savvy navigation, which ultimately will lead you to appropriate advocacy. Our discussion is with Dr. Glenda Newell, who with Dr. Brenda Spriggs wrote the book, Focus on Your Health. What are some of the barriers to communication in the healthcare system? We all know that, that it exists. I can't tell you the number of people who are either have themselves uh, a health problem or engage with relatives who don't have a single clue about how to discuss this with the system. What are some of the barriers to effective communication, especially for African Americans? So um, there are many barriers to uh, communication, Dr. Lenore. But one of the barriers is um, just the ability to be able to have a conversation. Many doctors use jargon. And um, when you find yourself in a situation that somebody is using jargon, then you're not going to be able to understand. It's just like when you go and talk to the mechanic and they start talking in language that's unfamiliar. Uh, the other uh, barrier that we have is that patients and doctors don't have much time in the visit. The visits are uh, counted. Um, the doctors are monitored for how many patients they see in a given period of time. So there's limited time in the visit. Another barrier is just being able to, the cultural sensitivity of the relationship between the doctor, and in particular with uh, African-American patients, um, it's really important to be able to have a doctor that really understands a little bit about what you do. So, for instance, if a patient has hypertension and um, you're telling the patient that they need to no longer um, eat salt, uh, and they need to stay away from all of these things, I mean, that's kind of a situation that's unrealistic. So we need to... Uh, temper that conversation and uh, give that patient some options. Maybe it's not never salt, but salt in limitations and offering salt substitutes. Um, another problem with um, communication has to do with how the doctors are required to now multitask. 
So doctors are now needing to uh, talk to you and type at the same time into the computer and examine you. And um, it's a bit of a distraction, I think, when you're in the doctor's office. So there's so many competing uh, elements in that relationship between the patient-doctor that uh, it's really going to be up to the patient that they need to be able to speak up for themselves, know when to ask questions, um, and know the right questions to ask. Our discussion is with Dr. Glenda Newell, who with Dr. Brenda Spriggs wrote the book, Focus on Your Health. We're talking about advocacy, helping you get through the healthcare system. The value you just described about communication with the doctor, sometimes it's like getting on a fast-speeding train. Once you're on that train, you, you feel like you don't have any control. From the time you meet the person at the desk to the time that you uh, see the doctor to the time that you get your explanation. How do you slow that train down? How do you deal with, say, for instance, someone who is rude to you at the desk or when the doctor doesn't give you the information you need? What, what, what is it that you should be prepared to do even before you go to that visit? Uh, great question, Dr. Lenore. Well, first of all, you need to know your own medical conditions. You need to know the names of your medical conditions. You need to know the names of your medications. You should not be saying, I take a little red pill or a little yellow pill. You need to be able to identify your pills by name. You should know the dosages. And if you can't remember that, then you just keep a little card, just like you keep your license close to you. You put your medicines down on a card, so on a card with the, with the dosages and, and, and the names. So you need to come to the appointment equipped. You need to come with your questions. Write your questions down before you get to the doctor's office. And I would have to say to you, I mean, this happened to me just recently. I went in to have some blood drawn, and it was quite a scene. Um, with the, the lab technician was arguing with me about whether I was fasting or not and then told me to sit down. I mean, you need to hold your staff, your, your, your um, insurance company, your health company accountable. Um, you, you should not tolerate rude behavior, um, um, unprofessional behavior. You get the name of that person, and there is a customer service that you can discuss with later on about that. And that also goes with the communication with the doctor. I, I can also give another example. You know, the best examples are often the ones that you face yourself. Um, but I recently was in the doctor this year and had a problem and went in and uh, the doctor examined me and this was a specialist. And uh, the doctor said, you know, well, gee, I just don't see you. I don't see anything wrong. And when I got up off of the exam table, he said, oh, you're limping. I mean, oh, as though not sure exactly what he thought I was after. Maybe he thought I was drug-seeking for pain medication, but, oh, but, you know, I will refer you to somebody else. I was lucky in that situation that I got referred to another specialist who was more caring. Um, I will say this was a female doctor, more caring. She was more willing to listen. Um, and, 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 of course, I've made a decision I don't need to see that other doctor anymore. But those are the kind of decisions that you make. When the exchange is not a good exchange, it's your insurance, you're paying for it, and if, they, if you don't feel that they uh, treated you with respect and professionalism, that they didn't hear you or listen, then you have the right to take that um, health card that you have and seek another provider. Our special guest, Dr. Glenda Newell, our topic today is a book, Focus on Your Health. You know, one of the uh, big, most effective ways to, to deal with that situation proactively is selecting your doctor. Too often mm -hmm. uh, in this environment, people get assigned a doctor. I call it medical prison. What are some of the more important components that you should do before you decide on a primary care doctor? So that's an excellent question. You know, really, the, the uh, medicine begins and ends 
after you know your medical information and your medical history, medicine often begins and ends with your primary care provider. So the first thing I want to say is that everyone that is listening needs to understand that you need to have a primary care provider. Now, you can have your OBGYN doctor and you can have your favorite preferred dermatologist that you see, but everybody needs a primary care doctor. So what you want to do is you find out who the primary care doctors that are covered under your plan. I always say to patients that the best referral for another doctor is another patient. So I encourage um, many of my friends to find out who their friends are seeing as a doctor. So you want to, so that will help you oftentimes to know if that person is sensitive, caring, uh, will listen to you. But you also want to know what are their office hours. I mean, if this is a doctor's office that only has eight to five and you can never get off of work, you're going to be want to be looking for a doctor's office that may be able to meet after hours once a week or have some hours on the weekend. You also want to know where do they have hospital privileges. Um, if their hospital privileges are, you know, uh, 30 minutes from where you live and they don't have privileges in the location, then you want to pick a doctor that has hospital privileges that are close. Um, the um, the other thing you want to think about is uh, sometimes it, it's really good to have patients, I mean, doctors that look like you. And um, many times I will ask, do you have a black doctor? Do you have a female doctor? There's nothing wrong with asking uh, for those specific areas um, when you're identifying your primary care provider. One of the things that runs through visits and through the whole healthcare system is this whole issue of unconscious bias. Uh, to explain what that is, that means that often decisions are made about people based upon the previous experience of that individual with that type of person. For instance, for African Americans, too often, when uh, when doctors see them who are not African American, they kind of reflect back to their medical school days. And you remember, in medical school, they always got had as, as sample patients African Americans who were a little poorer, a little less educated. And that's the concept that runs through the system too often. How does, a, how does an individual recognize some of the subtle signs of unconscious bias? Well, first of all, you need, to make, you, you need to have a good feeling when you're giving your history to your doctor that the doctor is listening. You also can get a feeling from body language as to whether you think somebody's blowing you off or not. That's just the example of what I gave you earlier when I went in and had my exam and it was like, oh, well, everything looks normal. And of course, I ended up with abnormal x-rays at the end of the day. Um, but you need to, um, you, you absolutely need to uh, w w know your information and then uh, have some sense as to whether they're listening. Now, one of the things that I think happens frequently to women is that um, many doctors don't believe that women have heart disease. And so many women will show up in the emergency room and they are sent home with anxiety and then they end up with heart disease and it's all a big surprise. Um, another thing that happens to us is that um, they don't, many doctors don't think that we um, have diseases that are um, unusual, extraordinary. And so they'll give you the one, two, three, but if things don't add up, if what they're telling you doesn't seem to make sense to you, then that is another indication that you need to be looking for another, another doctor. Um, uh, they don't uh, believe that we can have uh, certain diseases. Uh, they, some diseases get categorized as only being seen in Caucasians or only being seen in Jewish people. And there should be a clean sheet of paper when you go in uh, for your medical workup that all diseases are possible. 
Yeah, well, I always tell people when they go to see the doctor with something that they know is a problem, and the doctor says there's no problems, you ask him, what is in your differential? If it's nothing, what did you think about before you said it was nothing? Another thing that I, I wonder, you know, as doctors, you and I, I think we share this view, uh, that when we're referred to a specialist, I don't necessarily go to the specialist referred to me by my doctor without looking that specialist up. But how do you know he's referring you to the best specialist you think you should have? Well, that's another great question. Uh, there are a lot of new ways to, to uh, get information on doctors now that uh, were not around uh, 30 years ago. But um, one of the things you are, might want to explore is where did the doctor go to school? Um, you may want to find out whether the doctor is board certified. Um, and then, you know, let me just get really plain. When you get into the doctor's office and you find out that uh, you need a surgical procedure, I often say to patients, ask that doctor how many of those procedures has he or she done within the last 12 months. If you're going in for a special procedure and they say they've done eight in a year versus somebody that's done 200 in a year, you absolutely want to be with a provider that has more experience. So, uh, and then of course, you know, you can go on um, on the internet, and sometimes you're you're able to get feedback from the doctor there. But do keep in mind that any information that you read on the internet, be cautious of that, because many times when people have really good experiences with doctors, they don't put that information on the internet. They only put the negative information. So I would say to you that um, you want to read up on their education, and if there are other friends of yours that have, have seen that doctor, ask around. If this is a cardiologist or a hematologist, ask your friends. Who do they see? Again, the best referral, I think, for a doctor comes from another patient. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting experiences I've had with Yelp here in the Bay Area, uh, I all of a sudden looked up for some reason who the best African-American doctors in the Bay Area, and the first seven were in African American. Don't just expend on Yelp. Talk to friends and neighbors. And if you don't like what the decision is, what about getting a second opinion? Should you be nervous about getting a second opinion? Should you be reluctant? No, indeed. You should not be nervous, nor should you be reluctant about getting a second opinion. There are absolute indications for getting a second opinion, um, and I'll give you just two or three of them. If there is uncertainty about your diagnosis, if there, are, if there is confusion around what your treatment options are, if you walk away and you're as confused when you walk out of the doctor's office as you were when you went in about your treatment options, there, there has been an opportunity. And the other reason to get in a second opinion is sometimes you just want another opinion to review your, your biopsy report or your, uh, your lab in collaboration. You know, nowadays, um, patients are required to get what we call informed consent. So that means we have to tell you a lot of information, a lot. So we have to give you a lot of information. And sometimes it is very confusing. Um, and if a doctor tells you that you have to have some kind of removal of some, some part of your body and you're not comfortable with that, then you absolutely say to the doctor, thank you very much. I appreciate your evaluation. I just like to get another opinion, and that opinion can help you decide whether this treatment option is what you feel that you have to do. And then, of course, you at that point have the opportunity to be able to stay with the first doctor or the second doctor. I often say, if your doctor is intimidated by you wanting to go get a second opinion, then you need to really think about whether you want to stay with that doctor. And I often piggyback on that by saying, if we reacted 
to health care that was poor in quality, insulting and ineffective as we do when somebody cuts us in front of us in the Safeway line, we would have this problem. So, I mean, and I think this is what doctors say to doctors. Other doctors, we're not going to go to see a doctor like you did. We're not going to put up with that. I mean, and you don't, as a patient, have to put up with that either. Our special guest, Dr. Glenda Newell, our topic today is her book, Focus on Your Health. It's she and Dr. Brenda Spriggs, um, a book that I think everyone should have in their library. And later on in our podcast, we'll talk to you how to get copies of the book. Now, let's talk about advocacy. Often, I, the calls I get the most are people who have serious problems, either they're in the hospital or who didn't understand mm-hmm. a single word they were told. You know, that's not always the doctor's fault. When somebody tells you you have cancer or you have heart disease or you've got some kind of infection or a disease that, you know, like osteoporosis that you don't understand, then uh, you don't hear much after that. We as physicians, I know different. Um, that's when I think everyone on listening to our podcast or looking at our shows should have is an advocate. Explain to them an advocate. So, uh, thank you, Dr. Lenore. Yes, every patient needs an advocate. First of all, just imagine yourself. Imagine that you are in pain and you've made a decision to go to the emergency room. Um, chances are uh, you're not going to be your best your best self. So, when the doctor begins to ask you patients, how long have you had this? You may or may not remember how many days. You may think it's only been for that day for as long as you've been in that acute state. But when you bring someone along with you, that person is actually able to say, you know what, no, he or she's been complaining of this for the last two weeks. It's very important that the doctor get accurate information. Are you eating, Mr. Jones? Oh, yes, I'm eating. The response often from the family members, no, he really hasn't had anything other than soup for the last four days. Now, you might think that that's eating, but that's a different type of eating. We're talking about eating regular meals. Um, So advocacy is critical. The advocate, the person that's going to be there with you is going to be that person that's going to be able to make sure that your story is told to the doctor accurately. They're also going to be looking out for you in terms of what kind of care is delivered. I'll give you another example of something that actually happened in my family um, where you go to the doctor, you let the doctor know what medications you're on. There are certain medications that when you're on them, you should not be taking other medications. And I have to tell you that um, many of us will know, well, I'm on, let's just say a blood center. I'm on a blood center. And so because I'm on a blood center, then I should not be taking medicines that are in the anti-inflammatory, non-steroidal family. And you know them as Motrin or Advil or Naproxen. You may know them that way. But they may come through on your prescription as ibuprofen. It looks like a different kind of medication because we have generic and we have name brand. And um, the doctor, the dentist, absolutely knew that the family member was on blood thinners, but the dentist went on ahead and ordered the ibuprofen. Family member comes home, takes the ibuprofen, thinking the dentist Mm -hmm. gave it to me and said I should have it until another family member looked at the bottle and recognized that this was in that category. So, again, I say that an advocate, and, and these are very... In many situations, these are very smart people. It doesn't always have anything to do with your uh, educational um, experience, but it just has Mm -hmm. to do with paying attention to detail. So um, when somebody's there, now now I have to, I shared this a little bit with Dr. Lenore before uh, coming on, and I think that advocacy is a little different now kind of while we're in COVID as opposed to post-COVID or pre-COVID. 
You used to be able to be right there at the bedside with your family member and watch everything that would go on and and, uh, translate it and decipher. And now we're unable to do that. But I say your advocacy should not stop. You're able to get on that telephone, call that uh, hospital, speak to the nurse, ask specific questions. Did my family member, are they still taking IVs? Are they eating regular food? You know, did the doctors come by and visit this morning? Well, do they have x-rays planned today? And what x-rays are they? But let me also say to you before we leave this subject, you must make certain that you have, uh, that your family member has given you permission to have those conversations because you can be as close to that family member. That can be your mother. That can be your dad. But if they haven't given the doctor permission to talk to you about their health care, then you won't get any information. So please make sure you get all that taken care of at the time that you carry your loved one to the hospital. But you can still stay in touch with telephone communication. Um, And when this uh, COVID pandemic has um, uh, settled down a bit, I encourage you to be there at that bedside with your loved one so that you can ask the right questions um, and make certain that when you leave that hospital, you fully understand what the diagnosis is, how it's being treated, and what kind of problems you need to look for or call the doctor in terms of needing to come back to the hospital. And, you know, an advocate has to have mother wit. Has to understand when things don't seem quite right. It, it doesn't have to be your brother, your cousin. It needs to be someone who has some basic medical knowledge and understands something about navigating the system. If you don't have an advocate when you go into the system, I mean, your, the, your level of health care uh, is compromised and your outcomes are unpredictable. But if you have someone looking over the shoulder of that doctor, that nurse practitioner, that hospital, uh, and when you go somewhere and have something significant, they're going to pay a lot more attention to you. And I think the bigger advocate your doctor is for you when you go in that hospital, then it's important. There's no question. And if I go into the hospital in my area, I'm going to get better treatment than you because I'm a doctor and people know who I am more than that. Importantly, they know I know what the deal is supposed to be. But if you have a good advocate, you can get the same quality health care regardless of who you are. Have we missed anything? Um, I think the only thing that we may not have spent uh, a lot of time on is the area of navigating. Um, it's important that you know your centers of excellence where you live. So you need to know which hospitals have stroke centers uh, so that you don't end up getting yourself carried to a hospital that's not uh, prepared in the same way. You need to find out where the hospitals are that do major uh, cardiac surgery. Um, you you want to just make sure that sometimes when you're in an emergency setting, the ambulance will have to take you to the closest facility. Um, but there are some facilities that are just more ex- have more expertise in certain areas than others. So you want to explore that. Um, and if you're not uh, imminently urgent, you know they may be able to drive you that little extra distance to get you to that hospital that has the stroke center. So navigating, uh, being able to navigate. Uh, the system. Also, understand and know your, your health insurance that you've paid for. You know, sometimes companies will change health insurance plans, and you'll have, you know, one insurance plan one year and another insurance plan the next year. It's important that you sit down and read that to find out, because a doctor that you may have had under one plan, you may not be eligible to see that doctor under the new plan. 
Uh, the previous plan may have had one deductible and your new plan has a higher deductible. So you may find yourself uh, paying more and you don't understand why. Um, so so the knowing and understanding your health insurance is something that you need to uh, spend some time with. The other thing I encourage uh, everyone to do, if it's possible, um, ask your employers to provide you with a health insurance kind of concierge or a navigator or an advocate because they know a lot about all of the health plans that are being offered, and you're the new person coming to the situation. And many times they can make recommendations to you based on your family, the number of people in your family, the kind of uh, medical problems that you have. And sometimes they can make recommendations to save you monthly premium costs based on the type of medical problems that you have. And, and working with an expert like that is really going to be, um, it, it will be doing it with the knowledge and the education versus you going in saying, well, I want the five-star plan. I'm going to get the most expensive one. Or I don't want to pay a lot for my health insurance. I want insurance. I want to get the cheapest one. So you want to get with a health insurance coach or navigator or advocate, whatever your company may call it. And generally, this comes out of the human resources department. It's considered part of your benefit plan. I think time spent fully understanding your health insurance will serve you well. Uh, Dr. Glenn, thank you and Dr. Spriggs. For writing this book, this I've often said this is the book that I wanted to write myself, but if I try it now, it would simply be plagiarism. <laughs> the book is focused on your health. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's available uh, through uh, Dr. Newell's. Uh, you want to give them your email? Yes, I, I'm actually going to give your listeners um, a very special opportunity, Dr. Lenore. Anyone that is actually listening to this podcast, I'm going to give you my email address. And that's gfnh at yahoo.com, gfnh at yahoo.com. If you have an interest in purchasing the book, Focus on Your Best Health, if you reach right out to me directly and you tell me that you have been listening to Dr. Lenore's podcast, I will make certain you get a special discount. That's Focus on Your Best Health, uh, Dr. Glenda Newell and Dr. Brenda Spriggs as authors. And my email address, again, is gfnh at yahoo.com. And I say once again, everybody should have a copy. Thank you, Dr. Newell. Thank you, Dr. Lenore. All right. Thank you, Dr. Newell. And I know the people have the uh, uh, email address she gave them, the book, Focus on Your Health. Uh, and I think that it's available on Amazon. And we may have um, information on our website uh, about the book as well. Thanks to Dr. Newell. I think she started us off pretty well in building the kind of toolbox you need for you and your family. Couldn't agree more. And on that note, uh, as always, you know, we take questions on social media. We are at Black Doctor Speak on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. And this week, we asked our followers, what is something they wish they could ask their doctor? And so uh, I'm going to review some of those with you. One of the first ones comes in from Facebook. This is from Rosie Cream. She said, I wish I could ask my doctor, what is your political party affiliation? Do you think that's appropriate to ask a doctor? Uh, no, I don't think it's appropriate to ask even a stranger. But certainly you're not there for politics. You're really there to get answers to your problems or to get uh, information about what keeps you healthy. I don't think that's an appropriate question for a doctor. Now, what you can do is you can, you, before you go see that doctor, you can Google the doctor, and I think you could tell a lot 
from a Google what the affiliations might be, but I don't think I would use my precious time at a doctor visit uh, to ask a political political affiliation. As a, as a doctor, I'd be somewhat insulted, and I think it was inappropriate uh, if that happened. Well, I think you're right. There's plenty you can learn from a Google search. Um, so that's great advice for our listeners. This one from Nick Wee on Facebook. Why don't providers offer samples or discount cards for medications at visits? Well, there used to be a time when we did get a lot of samples from pharmaceutical companies, and that was the way they marketed their products. But the FDA has clamped down on that quite a bit. Uh, and so now we don't get samples, and if we do get samples, then we're not really allowed to do anything else with a the company. They used to come in and give you lunch to your staff and all of that, uh, and lead these samples. But now in California, it's a $10,000 fine. If they find out you've taken more than $100 from a combination of pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, device companies, or anybody else in your line of work. And in most instances, most big plans do not let, um, uh, do not let drug professionals come in and leave samples. And so that uh, things have changed dramatically in the last four to five years. Right, which is, you know, Unfortunate for those who are underserved and, you know, disenfranchised and unable to afford the medication, but the rules are the rules. Lastly, I want to ask you, as a doctor, what do you think is the most important question to ask your doctor? I think the most important thing for you to find out from your doctor is what is his personal philosophy about health and wellness, about disease, what are the habits that he has about returning phone calls and giving explanations, and will will he accept an interaction between the two of you uh, rather than a imperative uh, from his judgment? I think those are some of the questions that I would ask. You want to really get a feel for how you and this doctor are going to relate on a personal level uh, around your health. You know, I think it's it's always a difficult uh, stretch at times because we get, uh, as doctors, we get so involved uh, in our own style of things. I often say the doctors take credit for everything that happens good to you uh, and what happens bad to you is your fault. But we get sometimes we get full of ourselves, and sometimes we don't allow you to participate in your own health. I think the most important thing is for you to try to participate in your own health. You know, Jason, uh, I could talk about this all day because that really is what we're all about at the African American Wellness Project, but we're running, we're running out of time. I'd like to thank Dr. Glenda Newell for the book Focus on your health. Uh, the book is available through her email, through Amazon and a number of other places, and uh, hopefully it will be on our website very soon. So I'd like to thank those of you who listen to us weekly, and I'd like to thank new listeners. And I want you to remember, health is your biggest asset, so protect it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lenore. Black Doctor Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Martell Lenore Endowments, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctors Speak on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. And if you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.